Stand-up's like being at a party, and you go up to this one group, and you tell them a joke, and they all laugh, and you go, oh, that was good. So you go find another group of people, tell them that same joke, and they laugh. That's what stand-up is, yeah. except those groups are clubs. Just go around telling that same joke, getting that laugh. That's it. That's a great time. Making that fudge. Making that fudge. <laughs> yeah. Are you a comic who wants to take your comedy to the next level? Sometimes you need a little help. And that's where the Clean Comedy Challenge comes into play. This is Leslie Norris Townsend, and I'm the creator and producer of this challenging event. This year, we have three different locations, each with a cash prize. Two of the three are full-blown three-day events with seminars, critiques, and performances in a real comedy club. Past attendees include Johnny W., Charlene May, Andy Medango, Marty Simpson, and Mike Paramar all who are now full-time comedians. So if you're ready to take advice from the pros and perform in a real comedy club, go to cleancomedychallenge.com. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And don't forget to mention Rick Roberts School of Laughs so I know where you came from. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here. Thanks again to the Clean Comedy Challenge for sponsoring today's episode. And thanks to Patreon supporter Brad Burr. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a small recurring monthly donation, just check us out at schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Today I've got Dusty Slay on the podcast. Dusty is now a Nashville comedian, born and raised in Alabama, started comedy in Charleston, South Carolina, has been in Nashville for four years, and recently, January 2nd, got to appear on the Jimmy Kimmel Show, his first late-night TV appearance. We talk about that. We talk about finding your legs as a comedian and overall just how to go about getting better. And that's what comedy is all about, getting better every single time you hit the stage. If you'd like to get better at your comedy, hey, by the way, we've got some comedy classes coming up right here in Nashville, Tennessee. On April 9, 16, and 23, I'll be running the writing class. It's kind of the beginner's class, but also in-depth enough that if you've been doing comedy for a while, you'll definitely get something out of the class. Go over 17 writing techniques. I give you homework, give you feedback, and you get to hang around, meet, and network as well as interact with other creative people. It's a lot of fun. It goes from 6 to 8 p.m. here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cost is $200. For more information, check out schooloflast.com and click on the classes page. Or just shoot me an email, schooloflaughs at gmail.com. Also, the Business of Comedy class coming up April 15th from 1 to 4 p.m. That class goes over everything you would probably want to know about the career and the business of stand-up comedy. That course is $99 and also comes with a pretty hefty workbook to help you walk your way up the comedy ladder. And a uh, good class. I keep the, the enrollment to that kind of small so we have time to get deep into your questions. And again, it's coming up on April 15th. All right, let's get into this week's podcast with Dusty Slay. Well, welcome to the School Lives podcast. Got Dusty Slay sitting across the table. How's it going, sir? It's going great. Going great. I'm pumped to be here. I know, and I know you've been working hard, traveling hard, so thanks for making some time to jump in the yeah. podcast today. 
Hey, I was checking out. I knew when you first moved here, you moved here from Charleston, South Carolina area. Right. Yep, Charleston. And you were born in Alabama. Born in Alabama. I moved uh, to Charleston when I was 21. Okay. And lived there for 11 years. So you're how old now? 35 now. Okay. 36 this year. So I've been here. April 1st, I'll be in Nashville for four years. Man, that's it, gone fast, hasn't it? Has. It has. It has really has. That's cool, man. And yeah. when you were in Charleston, how many of those years had you been doing comedy? When did you start? Well, it's weird, my whole comedy start. I moved there in like late 2004 and or late 2003, and I started doing improv because I didn't have any friends uh, uh-huh. because, you know, I just had a weird situation when I moved there, and plus I didn't know anyone. So I started doing improv, and then I did stand up a couple of times in late 2003, and then a couple of times in 2004, I did it. Uh-huh. But then I was like, I don't know, I was, you know, I was partying a lot, and I was like, I just quit doing it. I, I, I had a great first set, uh-huh. and that kept bombing. So I was like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to keep bombing in front of people. So I quit. And then in 2008 is when I went back and did stand-up. Okay. And this time I did stand-up completely sober, and it was great. And I was like, and the audience loved it, and I walked in, no one knew who I was, and when I left, everyone wanted to be my friend. Yeah. So I was like, this is a good feeling. That's pretty cool. I want to do this again. So you had a little break. Did you do improv during that break? A little bit, but I mainly just quit doing that altogether. I just was waiting tables and working another job, and I was just kind of doing my own thing. That's that's cool. But I, but I, I would always inc- see people, and they were like, "Hey, you still doing the comedy thing? You still doing the?" And I wasn't. Yeah. But I felt weird saying no because I felt like <laughs> yeah. I should be. Right. You know. Did you go to see a lot of shows and stay in that community a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. A lot of the people, actually, the the guy who got me to do stand up the first time was a friend of mine doing improv. He got me to do it the first time. He got me to do it again in 2008. Gotcha. It's good to have those friends that yeah. are relentless. Yeah, he kept me in, and he helped me write my jokes for both of those times. Because I had no idea. I mean, like where I come from, I mean, I'm like, I knew how to be funny uh-huh. in situations, but I had no <laughs> idea how to write jokes for stage. Yeah. Actually, I have a couple of notebooks very early on where I was just completely making up stories. Instead of trying to write about my own experiences, I was just completely making up stuff. Yeah, sometimes it's harder to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've looked back at those notebooks and thinking maybe I'll try to bring some of my old jokes back now that I'm a better writer. And I'm like, the early stuff is too bad. Yeah. To ever try to bring back, it's like this is this is garbage. Yeah, I know. I've got a, several milk crates in the garage of like the first few years. Yeah. And I mean, I was putting in a notebook a month at least, you know. Oh yeah. And so occasionally when I go on vacation or something, I'll take some and sit by the pool and look at them like, oh my god. And occasionally you'll see a nugget like, oh, that's pretty good. Oh yeah. I can maybe bring that back, but a lot of it's just like, what was I trying to pull off? Yeah. What I were, know. What were some of like the early things? You know, you're making up stories, but were some of the other problems with the the jokes, the material that wouldn't make it work besides just being not rooted in truth? Well, I always because I was. I was raised in a trailer park, right? I always thought, well, that's my that's my thing. That's what I'll do. I'll write trailer park jokes, which I still do. Mm-hmm. But it was like I was trying to write two stereotypical trailer park jokes. Right. Instead of writing about what I really experienced, I would try to, you know, I would try to do the jokes about dating your cousin or something like that, just stuff that I feel like people wanted to hear as opposed to my real experiences. Yeah. And that's what I think is the best now because I write about stuff. And then people that grew up in trailer parks 
will come up to me after the show and they'll go, hey, I grew up in a trailer park too, which I feel like is the only time you're ever proud of that. Right. <laughs> and uh, so now it's like they're like, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. We did that too. Yeah. As opposed to completely making something up where they're like, oh, well, we've heard that. Like I had someone tell me in Chattanooga, they were like, I feel like you do a really good job of doing the redneck thing without being cheesy. Yeah. And that's my goal. Yeah. It's because it's like, I don't know. To me, I had a great time in the trailer park. We loved it. Yeah. When you're you know? a kid, you're just having fun anyway. Yeah. I mean, you might have situations going on that might not be ideal, but you're you're a kid doing kid stuff. Yeah. We had a great time. at had a woods behind the trailer park oh, the that best. we played in all the time. And it was great. I had a lot of friends. Yeah. But it's like the, the, the real issue for me was that I went to this school where it seemed like virtually no one lived in a trailer. You know, right. it's like uh, they may have, but it seemed like to me I was the only one. Yeah. So I tried to hide it. You yeah. know, that's funny. I went to school in a trailer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I, in my elementary school, it got too big. And so they just put everybody in trailers like one through five. And then when you're sixth grade, you get to move inside the building. Oh, <laughs> it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome. And that is tricky. I think when you first start, I know for me. I would listen to other comedians and whatever got a laugh for them. I'm like, oh, that's what the audience wants to hear. Right. So I'll write jokes about that. Yeah. And uh, even though they were my jokes from my perspective, it was still what I thought the audience wanted to hear as opposed to, here's something I find interesting. Let's see if they like it too. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes, it takes a little while. Some, maybe there's a few comics out there that got into that right off the bat, but usually it takes you a few years of kind of getting used to the system of comedy. Then you start getting comfortable with, okay, I can take a few chances and, yeah. Why not take a chance on something that's real? Because if they don't laugh, I'll just keep on talking because I know the, how the real thing happened. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's your story then. Right. You know? And too, it's like, yeah, and it's like you don't have to worry about remembering the joke. You don't right. forget the joke. Like you may not be hitting the punchlines, but it's your story. Yeah. You're just you telling there. it. And it could be interesting to somebody even if they're not laughing. Yeah. But I'm like, I just, I mean, I had to learn how to just live in life. I mean, really, I had like, I don't know, I felt like. I don't want to say that. I mean, my parents are fine. They mm-hmm. they uh, have jobs and friends and things like that. But I felt like that I just had this real learning curve of life in general that it took me my 20s to figure out. So I wasn't prepared to be telling jokes about life yeah. when I didn't even know how, how to live life. No, I think it's fair. I think most people, myself included, 20s are still trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I think my first major decision was like when I was 25, like I, I wanted to quit smoking cigarettes. I'm like, that's an adult thing to do. Yeah. You know, and now I'm like, I can't wait till I'm 65. I'll start smoking again. Yeah, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> but I knew that that was something that was going to change the trajectory of my, my health and my life a little bit. Yeah. Even though it wasn't comedy. Well, it was comedy related because that was, that was the battle, being in the clubs all the time. And that's how oh, you kill yeah. time. The headliner's up. That's three cigarettes. Oh, true. You know, yeah. We get time off between the shows. That's a couple of cigarettes outside with the other comedians. Yeah. So, yeah, you're figuring it out in the 20s. And then you, you yeah. moved here, like you said, four years ago. Yeah, I was I was 32. Yeah. Um, And I quit drinking at, at the end of 29. Okay. Uh, And that that is my, like, I don't know. I never did any road comedy as a drinker, which is probably why I have a career. So you were home-based doing stuff in Charleston area? Yeah. And, it, you know, and it, it wasn't, like, so bad. It, you know, it'd be me and my buddies. We'd go do an open mic, and then we'd drink after and party. Yeah. But my – I always say that, you know, I, I feel like I did, you know, about six years of the same 20 minutes, and then I quit drinking and wrote an hour. You yeah. Know? yeah it, it is – yeah. I, I was drinking on the road quite a bit back in the day, too, and it's – you're just kind of in sustained mode the whole time. You're like, lather, rinse, repeat. Hey, it was right. kind of fun last night. I was kind of funny, but then right. you clear some of that stuff out and you can really focus. Yeah. You have more time. You have The time you have is more 
clear. Right. Your, your mornings start a little bit earlier and you have more clarity before things get crazy. Yeah, and you remember what you said on stage. Yes. That was my problem. I'd do a great <laughs> joke. I'd be like, get a great laugh, and then I, I would drink, and I'd be like – and then I just wouldn't remember yeah. what it was, so I couldn't repeat it. Yeah, and, and it's hard to be in the moment right? and think to that second level, second gear kind of thing yeah. when you're drinking because you're and, just like – And then there's like – it felt like there was like this perfect place you could be in, the perfect buzz – that you could be in to tell jokes. So you're like, all right, well, last night I had two beers and a shot. Let's do that again <laughs> yeah. to try to get back to that place. And then you never can find that place. Yeah, because that's a meandering kind of place. Right. So you you, can't click, you quit drinking before you got to Nashville. And did you feel like you had kind of done everything you could do in Charleston, or were you just looking to move I, to a bigger city? Or I did to a comedy? degree. I mean, I love Charleston. I still think that it's, it's a cool town. such a great, fun place. But it's like... Nothing's close. I mean, Charlotte's close, and they got a club, but that's really it. So, you, so for me to travel, mm -hmm. I mean, now being in Nashville, I can I can go to, you know, I mean, Jackson, Tennessee is right there. You have uh, uh, Birmingham, Huntsville. We Everywhere's within five and a half hours, and not within three. Yeah, I mean, Indianapolis is just four. Yep. Uh, Lexington, Kentucky is really close. I'm going to Cleveland this weekend, and even that is not that far. Right. But from Charleston. Oh, really yeah. far. But yeah, it's a great place to travel out of. And it seems like pretty quickly you kind of meshed right into this, the scene here. Yeah, I think the great thing about comedy is if, if you are funny, you don't even have to be great. But if you're funny and, and nice, you go to an open mic, you make people laugh, and then everybody's your friend. Yeah. That's the great thing about the comedy community. Like sometimes you don't even have to be funny. You just keep showing up. Everybody yeah, yeah. will be your friend. That's true. You know. Yeah. If you're, yeah, even more so maybe if you're supporting the scene. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but it's like I came in, you know, and I'm like, my goal was, I'm like, I had all these, like, because I wrote, I, I recorded my album here in Nashville, but I had, I had all that material already. Mm. So I came in with, you know, almost an hour's worth of stuff. So I was hitting open mics, not doing any new jokes. I was like, I'm, I'm coming in to impress people. Yeah, yeah, showing what I got. Right. And then I'll work on some other stuff later. Yeah, and then Chad Ryden. I mean, I had already done Zanies one time uh, because I met my manager now uh, before I ever moved here, and he got me on a gig at Zanies. He got me on a Wednesday night uh, opening for Pablo Francisco. Oh yeah. And I had never done a comedy club because in Charleston we just had theaters, so I had never done a comedy club. So I, they tell me they say you, you're going to do 15 minutes clean, and I was like, great. And then. Um, they showed. They came in. Uh, it was Casey at the time. Was the man? He came in and he said uh, the host didn't show up. Can you host? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, can you do thirty? And I was like, yeah. And so I went out. I'd never done a comedy club. I opened that door at Zany's yeah. <laughs> to a sold out place. Yeah. And and then there you are, right in the room when you open that door, and it went great. Uh, but it's like I. That's why I always say to people, uh, have the ability to be clean. I was like. You don't have to be a clean comic, but have the ability to be clean. Right. Because had they said to me that night, can you do 30, can you be clean? And I said, no, who knows what would have happened. Right. Sure, it would have all worked out anyway, but the fact that I got to nail it on that night helped me out a lot. Yeah. But anyway, so I came here and Chad put me on some shows and, you know, there would be, you know, maybe 40 people in the audience and it could be a little disheartening. But I'm like, this is the club in right. Nashville. I want to do well. So I would come out hammering it, you yeah. know, and uh, and then eventually it paid off. Yeah. You know, that's cool. Do you have a favorite gig outside of Zany's here in Nashville? It's like, ah, I like to go to this one every single week, no matter what, or when you're I, home. 
Well, I don't really do so many of them. I mean, uh, Bo Schuster's gig at uh, Belcourt Taps is I really like that fun. one. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, uh, Bobby's Idle Hour is actually pretty fun. I mean, the, the thing that I like about Bobby's is there'll be a bunch of old old men at the bar that don't laugh at a lot. But if you make them laugh, I'm like, okay, I feel yeah. good about that. It's like the two guys in the Muppets that are up in the balcony. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> old heckler dudes. Yeah. If you get one of those older guys to turn around and chuckle, I'm like, okay, that's a joke. Yeah. That's cool. And so you're hitting the road quite a bit now. I just kind of took a peek at your schedule before we started up. Uh, starting to headline some places finally yeah. that you've been featuring for a while. And how's that going? Pretty it's fun, great. huh? I mean, it is a different, uh, it's a different journey um, because I've, I've just been, I think the feature spot is such a sweet spot for comedy. I mean, the host goes up, whether he does well or not, you're like, the audience is like, okay, now that guy's out of the way. Now right, right, right. If he does great, even wonderful better. but if he doesn't they're like i think a lot of audiences expect the first person to not be good and it's unfortunate because a lot of them are good yeah but the audience writes them off i don't do as well if i'm the first person to hit the stage sure it takes me a minute yeah but uh but now headlining it's like you know you're following people that are good mm -hmm. and it's been a while and it's like all right now you're the main guy and it's more pressure and then you you know, the check drop happens. You're having to sustain this whole whole show. And it's like I had a guy at the early show on Saturday who was the front row. And he said a pretty insulting thing to me uh, that I don't think anyone else heard. But it infuriated mm -hmm. me. And there was nothing I could do. You know what I mean? I couldn't. I tried to make some jokes with him and they were bombing. And I was like, I just have to. It was like we're talking five minutes into the 45 minutes. Uh -huh. So now I just have to. I have to shake it off. I wanted to just go. I, what I needed was five minutes to just go, breathe a bit, and come back. Right. But you can't. You don't have that. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is the funny thing about comedy. No matter what happens once you start, if you got a sneezing fit or your voice is starting to go or whatever, or there's a situation with the audience, you're going to be up there for another 45. Yeah. You know? Let me walk through the headline set, though, because there are different things that you have to uh, start calibrating for when you hit the stage. So... Two things can happen before you get up. The, the feature act could be crushing it at a super high level, or they could be, eh, kind of average. So let's say that they're, eh, pretty average. How does Dusty kick into his headlining set first few minutes? Well, this uh, this weekend, what was fun, was a guy that was featuring for me, a guy named Jeff Bodart. And the last time we worked together, it was in a different club, and I featured for him. So we're we're at an equal level, me uh -huh. and Jeff. So, and I like him a lot. Very nice guy. And he's crushing it. You know, the whole time. So it's like, and my energy is low energy. Right. Almost everyone has more energy than me. So I just have to get up and I and I, I have to reset the audience to what I do. So I like to just kind of get up, give them the little wave that I do. And I'm like, who's pumped, you know, and that kind of thing where it just slows it down mm -hmm. to where it almost to a dead silence. And then I can start doing what I do. And that to me, that helps me now. I. That may change mm -hmm. as I headline more and more, but I find that because my energy is low, what I don't want to do is go and try to be somebody that I'm not. Yeah, you don't want to try to match what was there if it's not you. Right, because you know, uh, and I and crowd work is not my thing. If I if I have to do it, sometimes I can do it really well, but it the audience needs to like me. Yeah, and the audience doesn't necessarily like me right when I take the stage. Yeah, you know, I need to yeah. get them to like me. That's true. And sometimes the unfortunate thing is 
because they don't maybe don't like you early, you feel like you need to do crowd work earlier. Right. And they, you don't have that trust with them yet to jump in there. Yeah. So that yeah, it's interesting. Now, if the feature act is kind of same energy as you, you just kind of go out and do your normal thing, or do you? Yeah, if they're step the same energy, second, I feel like I can just jump right in. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, uh, you know, and I'm also uh, cleaner. I mean, I, I I'm not the cleanest, but I'm a cleaner comic. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's real dirty, it also takes a minute to, uh, because I don't know, my feeling is it's hard to laugh at a cute joke about the Home Depot after you've heard some graphic right. joke about something else, because it, they've already been taken to a place. They've been desensitized. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. You almost have to hit them with some anesthesia and reset them again. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, you know, in a best case scenario, a good booking alleviates all of that and right. you're paired up with people that make the entire sh- show right. flow. Not always the case, though. <laughs> right. Especially, you know, first time at a new club, maybe work with somebody you never worked before. There's those there's those first nights of the week, Tuesday or Wednesday, where you, you come in there, you kind of watch the whole thing, going, what's, what's going to happen this week? Yeah. And you kind of get your bearings and calibrate a little bit to see where you want to hit it. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a club where the guy booking the club was also featuring for me. And oh. <laughs> he was really dirty and yeah. was crushing it. Yeah. And then, so my first show... <laughs> my show was was mediocre. I mean, it was fine. Like I, no one, people didn't walk out, but it would be mediocre laughs. Yeah. And he crushed. And I said to him after, I was like, "Hey, can we, you know, tone it down a bit?" And he said, "Well, I think you can follow anyone. I don't understand the problem." And it's like I appreciate the compliment. Right. But, but my <laughs> show can be better. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's like some people just don't see it. Like, like someone may see my show. And to me, that wasn't a good show. But to them, they're like, you did great. Right. But it's like what, what I know I can do. Yeah, you're, you're living inside that show. You know exactly what, it's, what a good show is and isn't. Uh, in Charleston, they used to do uh, the Spoleto Festival where it would be um, – be, would, comedy would come in to all these theaters where people were seeing plays. So it would be the same people that were like members of these theaters. Mm-hmm. So they would, it would be an older audience, and they would come out, and I, I would want there to be a little light on the audience because a lot of them would just smile. Right. Like they were very happy, but they wouldn't laugh. Yeah. You could, you could just, so I needed to see that they were having a good time. Yeah. The older audiences specifically, they don't laugh a lot because they're afraid they're going to miss what you say next. They won't hear what you say oh, next. Oh, yeah. Same thing happens in Vegas or Branson or if you're doing some of the older oh, yeah. demographic rooms. They're, they're enjoying it, but they don't want to cause themselves not to hear the next thing. Right. Well, that's what I learned early on, too. I wouldn't wait for the laughter. I was just like, I would be so nervous. It would be like punchline. Now the next joke, now the next joke. And where I learned to, and I always tell newer comics, I'm like, if you're writing a joke, know where you want the audience to laugh. So then when you say it, if they don't laugh, then you know, you failed. Right. Right. Uh, You know, and that joke doesn't work. Yeah. Rewrite it, you know, but it's like, if you just keep talking, the audience might be so polite that they're enjoying themselves, but they don't want to miss the next thing. Right. So, you're not sure if your joke worked or if you just stepped on your own punchline. Yeah. There is a tendency to rush through it early on for sure. Oh, yeah. And not trust that the thing you wrote is funny and wait for it for a second. You know, it's all timing and it takes a while and some, some miles on the road to get that stuff down. Right. But it is interesting. The, you know, the big change between like year three or four and year six and seven, it's like so most comics got the point where they're so much more relaxed. They, they trust writing about real things instead of making stuff up. Right. You know, so. I always think your first few years, it's like training wheels. You're trying whatever you think is familiar until oh, you yeah. find what's right for you. And that can be that can be frustrating not only for you when you first start, but, you know, 
you're making those first impressions on people who are seeing you with those training wheels on, you know? Right. You know, I guess the good thing when you came here to Nashville, you, you got rid of all that stuff. You started off as a, a guy who had yeah. an hour of comedy, you know? But if, if you go to these open mics now, you see somebody from the very beginning. and you just, Oh, yeah. And I get frustrated more, not so with that person, because they're learning just like I did. But the more seasoned comics sometimes are like, that guy's horrible. I'm like, that guy's been doing it for six weeks. That's his, right. that's his third time, you know. Yeah. How, where were you at that? So. Oh, yeah. And I think our community is pretty good at accepting people and, and letting them develop and giving them enough stage time. There's enough open mics around town. Yeah, and it's nice. It's really nice here. I mean, the... I mean, I find that most open mic scenes are pretty nice. I mean, I haven't been to every one, but I, I don't know. And maybe it's because at this point I am uh, funny enough to even if my jokes are bombing, like even if my jokes don't work, people still laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, like they still like me. They get what I'm doing. Right. And you're relaxed enough to where it's not going to rattle you. Right. But uh, I feel like that comedy scenes, I mean, as long as you're willing to get up there and do it, and most people – are nice to you. Yeah. Now, you know, I've been to some New York open mics where it's like people don't want to be your friend. Right. But also in that, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm an out of towner and I always kind of play up the Southern thing if I'm in New York. Uh, but I find that I can even make friends at an open mic in New York pretty yeah. easy. Yeah. Well, there's that common denominator of like we're all fighting just to, right. <laughs> just to survive. Yeah. So I always, if I bump into somebody, find out they're doing comedy or whatever, at whatever level, it's like, hey, you know, I was even telling my wife recently, you know, I don't even have to like somebody anymore. If they're a comedian, I respect them. Right. You know, I know that it's not easy. Oh, yeah. And even if there's, if I would never pay a nickel to go see their show, like I still respect that person for doing it. Yeah. And they found their niche and their following and what have you. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of comics and I would never name names, but I mean, there's a lot of comics that I don't like their comedy, but people like their comedy and I get why they do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, you know, people are allowed to not like my comedy. Right. But they can't, I don't, they can't say that I'm not funny. Do you know what I mean? Like I may not be funny to you. But people are laughing at my jokes. Yeah. You know, so that's the way I feel about other people. I'm like, some people, I'm like, it's not my thing, but I watch them just crush it. Yeah. You Sometimes know? it's more fun to watch the audience in those situations. Like, I'm just going to watch how the audience laughs at this guy, you know, instead of me sitting here not liking the guy. Right. And yeah. enjoy the fact that the audience, enjoy the fact there's an audience here. Like, one thing I used to hear a lot when I was doing the clubs was uh, there were several ventriloquists that worked. Uh, Jay Medicine Hat, there was like three or four guys like this. And they would pack the club. They would have extra shows on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And the comics were like, this guy's stealing weeks from me. And I'm like, no, this guy is keeping the club open. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> the club is dead in the summer. He just sold out three weeks in a row. You know, you don't have to like what he's doing, but he's he's got his thing. It's not affecting your thing at all. Yeah. You know, if, if he didn't come here twice a year for three week stints, the club would close down, you know. Oh, yeah. So there's all kinds of, there's room for everybody. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, especially now. I mean, I feel like there's like, like even getting like you get a late night, like it's like seemingly late night is not what it used to be. Yeah. right? And it's like it's not the end all be all. But there's like all these niches now. I mean, because of Netflix, because of YouTube, I mean, you can exist as a comic and never be quote unquote famous. Oh, yeah. You can be a comic and never work a club. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- you know, this guy like. Southern Mama uh, is a great example. Darren yeah. Knight. Uh, I don't know how long Darren Knight. I don't know him other than I've worked with him. I, I don't know how long he was doing comedy, but his YouTube videos are very funny, right? Yeah. And so he picked up a following, and now he's 
far as I know, he sold out Zanies like six nights in a row. Oh yeah, yeah. Time. He's he's moving into theaters now. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So you have no excuses anymore. Right. Like back in the day, I couldn't get the late nights too old, whatever it might be. Yeah, you can make a couple excuses. But yeah. now you have a channel. You have right. multiple channels, and if you have time to develop that following, you you really can do a lot more with less. Right. Now let's talk about your your Jimmy Kimmel because uh, that was less than two or three months ago. Yeah, first uh, first of January. I think okay. it was January second. So let's go backwards a little bit. At what point did you start pursuing, was it Kimmel in general, or were you pursuing all the late nights and that one came through first? What was the well, steps? Well, um, I actually wasn't pursuing them at all. I mean, I did want to get late night, but I didn't really know how to pursue them. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I submitted to the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, which I heard was a great festival, and I didn't expect to get in. I'm like, because, I mean, the way I I see a lot of festivals, and the lineup will be, New York, Chicago, L.A. comics. Uh-huh. Not a lot of Nashville comics on there. So I didn't expect to get in, and I did. And they really liked my video, and I had a great time. Portland is it is a great festival. And while I was there, I met you know, a booker for Just for Laughs and a booker for Conan, and I got an audition for Just for Laughs out of uh, Bridgetown. So I went to New York and did the audition. I didn't get Just for Laughs, but the Kimmel booker was at the Just for Laughs audition. And asked, would I like to do Kimmel? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so I, I just, you know, I I had to send them some videos. And we went kind of back and forth with narrowing it down mm-hmm. till we got to the jokes that I wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, it took, it took longer than it should have. But that's probably my fault. Because I would get a video and I would go, I don't want to send them this one. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want it to be the best. So how long was it? It took, I uh, did Bridgetown in May. And I filmed Kimmel in December. Gotcha. So, but I did, you know, Bridgetown in May and then probably Just for Laughs about a month later. So it probably took six months. There you go. So Probably could have took three if I'd have just not been so worried about getting the perfect video. Well, I mean, I I think it's better sometimes to to wait and be overprepared and and be comfortable and ready than it is just to take advantage of the situation really quickly. Right. I I also didn't want to send them a bad video and then be like, Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we like this guy again? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so how long then from the date you taped before that did you know like I'm going to be there in December to tape this? Was it a week's notice? Two weeks? It was. Um, I think it was about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To they let me know. They say, hey, all right, we're going to come. We're going to have you come on out. And I, I think it was earlier than I expected. I think it was going to be like a month, and then they were, and it ended up being like two weeks. But it was during the week, so I mean, even it didn't affect any of my gigs. I mean, I had a couple of gigs that I put together, like smaller gigs mm-hmm. that I had to cancel, but no clubs. It didn't yeah. affect any of that. And so, from from the day you knew it was two weeks out, did did you just open your shows with that five minute set, just so you had it nice and smooth, or what was your process for kind of getting it tight? Actually, once I got it sent to them, I don't know that I really did it anymore until I got there because I I wore it out Uh because I've been trying to get this perfect tape and it's like I just stopped just to keep it fresh yeah because I I mean like once I tell a joke too many times I I mean it loses something and then I have to stop telling it and try to or either switch it up switch up the Mm -hmm. order try to do something different with it but I I got to um, you know the thing and I, I had to film it 
or, or had to run through my set for the crew. Right. Just so they could get the cameras right and whatever, or to see if they wanted to do it or not. You know, they <laughs> yeah, could have yeah. been like, you know what, we're <laughs> yeah. gonna pass. Yeah. So I got in there doing it for the crew, which made me really nervous because it's just like eight people. And I got nervous and I, I fumbled on some jokes. I don't think anyone noticed, but I knew. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh no. So I went to my hotel room right after that and I just said it to myself a million times. Right. And so when actually filming it, I got it spot on. I didn't miss a beat. Yeah. But I never opened with it when I was practicing it mm-hmm. because I, I don't know, that's not how I ever open. I never come right out going, I grew up in a trailer park. Right. But because of the time restraints, I didn't want to do my joke about tornadoes in the trailer park without letting people know that I grew up in a trailer park. Yeah. Because then I seem like I'm bashing people in the trailer park. Right. Which is not what I want to do. Yeah. So I probably, for me, I would have loved to have started a different way. But it was the only way it could work with yeah. time. And describe that setup. Because on TV it looks like a, a very, not very deep room, kind of wide. And it doesn't look like your typical setup. I, I think he's trying to make it feel like a comedy club. Yeah. But what well, did it feel like? Because it looks like they're right up on you, but... Well, it's, you tell a, me. it's a great setup, but the way that it is, they like, like the, the episode that I was on, it was pre-taped, you know, I had, uh, they saw The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> right. and Guillermo del Toro, the, the director, they were the guest. So this audience had just watched them. They had just seen The Rock. And then after they watched that for about an hour, they stand that whole audience up and move them to a different room and they set them down just for me. So they have a guy kind of directing them on what to do, and he was a funny person, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't doing jokes. Right. So they just come set down to see a comic they've never seen before. So it's like, I don't know, I felt like I could have used one person at least doing five minutes worth of jokes. Right. Well, yeah, be super helpful. And then bring me out. So it's like they bring me out, and then I'm telling a joke that... The you know the joke that I have where I'm like I grew up in a trailer park I'm not sure why they call it a park right that, that joke is I love that joke but it's not one that's like just crack I mean it's not my funniest joke sure so to open with that it was kind of like okay we're easing in uh-huh. but by the end of my set huge laugh on the ice cream jokes so yeah it's like that's the part where I'm like all right now let's get started now we're doing some comedy right you know yeah you definitely. They should have had a guy doing a little stand-up. Yeah. You know, set up, punch, set up, punch. Right. Yeah. It seems strange that they don't. Yeah. So that audience came right in, sat down, and then here I come. And then that was it. Then they got up and that was the end of the night. Yeah. And then they got up and then they took them outside to watch the music. It, that is a weird process. It's almost like it's a little three-stop show, huh? Yeah. It seems to me, and I'm not in Hollywood, so. <laughs> right. But why not have 10 comics come in that you're going to tape for the show? Right. And just put on a little comedy show in that little room. And so there is rhythm and there's it's building and there's high energy and the, the crowd's in there for a full comedy experience. Then you just drop those into whatever episode right. you want. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that would have been great. I mean, because it, it, it the audience would have been rolling. And yeah. then, but, you know, as a comic, um, I could say that I wish they would do it that way. But then had we done 10 and they put me number 10, <laughs> right. I would go, I wish they didn't put me last. Yeah, yeah. Or There's always a different first, way. I would go, I wish they didn't put me first. They could put me dead middle and go, well, I don't know why they had me follow that guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But Jimmy Kimmel was very nice. He was very friendly, very nice. He, he took, you know, before I went on stage, he came into the green room, talked to me for a bit, uh, and we took some pictures. And then 
he said to me before I went up, he said, you know, he said, this is a weird audience. He said, so anything you get out of them, you earned, which he could say that to every comic. Right. But at that time, that's what I needed to hear. I was like, okay, good. So no pressure. That's and then great. he said, uh, he said, and it's TV. He said, so you never do as well as you think you did. And you never do as bad as you think you did. So that's very gracious. Yeah. I was like, that's great. That's cool. And then after the fact, um, did you go out and watch the band too, or were you like, I'm toast, I'm headed out? No, I left. <laughs> I left. And did your manager attend with you? Or? Yeah, he did. And uh, and the and the the girl who booked me for Kimmel, she came out and she said, "All right, we have to wait for the green light." You know, she said, "That was great. I love what you did, but we have to wait for Jimmy Kimmel to give us the green light that we're going to use it." Ah. So I was like, okay. But I felt good about it. Yeah. So me and uh, my manager went and hung out at the hotel. And then waited, and then I got the call, green light. So, and then we went, had a couple of cigars. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's good. cool, man. Yeah. Any other things leading up to it that was uh, interesting or you didn't expect coming from your comedy background to doing this TV spot? Well, you know, I mean, it, I mean, all of that, all of it is a, a bit surreal to me. I mean, it's like, I, it's all part of the process. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm happy that I did it, but, you know, I also worked for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like that it's some luck of the draw that I got it because right. I've been working on these jokes. But yeah, it is nice to think that, you know, just, you know, five years ago, I'm sitting around with my friends and we're talking about what jokes we would do if we got a late night spot. Uh-huh. And then to have a late night spot now, it feels really good. Well, so this is a good question. What, what advice would you give people who are in the ballpark? They're They're ready, more or less material wise, but... What steps should they be thinking of in the back of their head to kind of be prepared if the opportunity presented itself? Well, I think that especially if you're working the road, because when I started comedy, I was doing only short five-minute sets, and I was really great at doing five-minute sets. And then I hit the road, and now I'm doing 30-minute sets. So I'm like, all right, it's different to to do a 30-minute set than it is to do a five-minute set. And I think that you get so used to doing the long set that when you're back to doing a five-minute set, it's a whole new challenge. I would say that it's a good idea to be working on those five-minute sets, mm-hmm. you know, to to know that if you're doing five minutes, how can I do from beginning to end with callbacks and do a complete set in five minutes? Right. Or even four minutes might even be better because it's like I just think that if, you, if you're working the road a lot, like if I go to a festival – uh, the L.A. comics and New York comics, a lot of times, they're the best. But that's because... They only do five-minute right, sets, right? Right, Whereas if, you know, I always I always wanted there to be a comedy festival where we're doing 30-minute sets. Right. So we can really show what we can do, you know? But I, I think it's a good idea to exercise all those muscles, to be practicing a five-minute set, a four-minute set, just in case you get that audition. Mm-hmm. And to pursue festivals, too, as part of your mix. Right. Right. Get a good video. I mean, people, uh, they really forget the video. I mean, the video that I had was, it wasn't particularly high quality, but it was a video where you could, you could, the audience was laughing. You could see my face really well and you could understand what I was saying. Right. So many of my videos, people can't understand what I'm saying. And that's the problem. Yeah. You know, like I've got, you know, I had, I had, you know, a couple of opportunities for America's Got Talent where I was asked to send in videos. Uh, and, they would say the owners of this America's Got Talent are British, and so they can't understand we need better sound quality. 
And but then I got them better sound quality, and they still didn't pick me. But that's, <laughs> like, that's, oh, we clearly hear that we don't right. want this guy now. <laughs> right. Cheerio. <laughs> right. That's pretty funny. Oh, that's what he's saying. No, yeah, thank it's you. It's even worse than we thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Well, what's uh, what's on your horizon now? I know you're you know headlining more places, and we were talking about that a little while ago. Um, any short and long term goals on your list, or you're a guy that doesn't keep a list? Well, I I met. Uh, you know, I met the Booker for Conan when I was at Bridgetown, and I would love to uh, do Conan. I would love to do all the late nights. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously. So, you know, I'm going to work to do those, but I'm also working on creating content. Like, I'm doing some YouTube stuff stuff now where I'm just um, – but I'm not trying to be – like, I'm not – I don't know. I, I spent so much time trying to be like, I want to create the funniest thing and put it on YouTube. It's got to be the funniest thing that now I'm just like, I'm going to do something I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this top five country songs. Yeah, I've checked that on out. YouTube, and it's like, I don't know. I, I've because I've been doing that, I've gotten better at editing. I've gotten better at, at at doing them. The videos that I've created now, I think that I have in the backlog to release, are better than the ones that I put out because I've gotten better mm-hmm. at doing that. And yeah, I mean, I just wanna, I wanna write more material. I wanna get uh, another album together, which has uh, been a slower process than I would have liked, but. I'm trying to do that, and I'd like to get some more late night stuff, and just just put out more content, utilize my free time a little better. That's cool. It is tricky to do all that. Yeah. You know, especially I mean, any free time you have now with all the traveling, you're kind of like, I wouldn't mind just resting a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. Staying healthy and staying clear. You right. know. And that's what I do a little too much. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll get home and I'm like, oh, I've been driving all day. What I need is to set down some more. Well, um, I'll list your websites on the on the on the episode show notes as well as the link to the Kimmel episode. Yeah. I can link to your you know, five country song. Thing. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll link I, to a bunch of dusty stuff. Yeah. I mean the, 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 if you like country music, I think that you'll love that because my goal, I mean, I'm, I'm not as into new country, mm-hmm. but I, my goal is not to talk about what I'm not into. Right. It's to talk about what I am into. And I grew up on eighties and nineties country. And as I got older, I've gone back to sixties and seventies country. And so I'm basically four decades. I'm trying to pick top five of different categories. Yeah. And then make jokes about it. Yeah. But not the low hanging fruit jokes. I'm not trying to bash country music. I just think some of the songs are funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think they have funny lyrics that we miss. Yeah, many times. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there's probably not a song out there that doesn't have some kind of thing you could take literally and go, what? Right. Right. One, one of my favorite jokes ever is uh, a friend of mine, Jeff Gage in Columbus, Ohio, does a joke about Thin Lizzy. Okay. He's like, the song Jailbreak. He's like, there's a lyric in there. It says, tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a private eye, but I'm guessing somewhere near the jail. (laughs) Right. Probably not a lot of jails in the town. (laughs) Yeah. Cool, man. Dusty, it's great to finally catch up with you a little bit. Thanks for doing the podcast. I like that we we shook hands uh, on audio. Yes. We We did just shake hands. I'm not sure if it was loud enough, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll high five. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Boom. (laughs) There we go. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. You bet. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with comedian Dusty Slay. You can check him out, DustySlay.com. I'll have all of his links in the show notes. You can check out his Kimmel appearance. You can check out his YouTube channel and the things he does with uh, country music videos. Very cool. And I'll link to his website on there as well. Don't forget, in April, I'll be running the writing comedy class on April 9, 16, and 23 from 6 to 8 p.m. Cost is 200 as well as the business of comedy class April 15th from 1 to 4 p.m. 
course cost on that is just 99 Thanks a lot for listening. I'll talk to you guys next time. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.